love hearing you guys sing. Where else in the world do you go to just sing? I know it's like a little weird, but it's also pretty beautiful. We are a singing group of people. There are people all over the planet in the name of Jesus that sing together. The sing of the goodness of God, and it's a joy to get to do that with you guys here today. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm the campus pastor of Wyoming Harbor, and it's good to see you. Uh, we have rain today and snow tomorrow and sun yesterday, so welcome to Michigan. Um, really, I was so much joy, just to reiterate what Kylie was saying about our Easter events. Um, there was an Easter a few years ago. I was at the, the church that kind of launched me into ministry to plant the, the church here. And I remember being so happy to be with them, but I, as a pastor, was thinking about you. This was probably three years ago. I'm like, I can't wait to see who God is going to bring to gather up in our community in Wyoming. And uh, it was many of you. So such a joy to get to see all people, uh, all the beautiful diversity of our city come together and get to sing outside and have it echo into the neighborhood. Um, uh, I was telling the other pastors in our system that we're all going around saying, like, how was... How was uh, Easter? And I'm like, you know what? There's nowhere on earth I'd rather be doing ministry. There's nowhere I'd rather be doing this. So thank you for letting me be your pastor. Thanks for cupcakes. Thanks for all of that stuff. Like, it just gets me excited for the future to keep seeing what kind of good news we can be together in this community. So thank you um, as we got to celebrate that Jesus died and was risen. Um, Oh, that's not usually there. If I fall and get a concussion, you'll know how. You'll know why. Um, Today, and we kind of talked about this on Good Friday if you were here for that service, but the question, why did Jesus have to die? So I guess I'm sandwiching Easter a little bit with that question. So we talked about it on on Good Friday, um, but also I want to wrestle with that question today because it's a big one, isn't it? Why did Jesus have to die to forgive our sins, right? If somebody asked you, like, why did Jesus have to die? Automatically, right? He died for my sins. Why? Why is that? Um, like if my kids <clears throat> sin, which they do, <laughs> they're young, they might not know it, um, but they do. Uh, and if I was in a situation where I wouldn't say, I love you and I forgive you, I won't punish you, but your brother's going to have to die <laughs> in order for me to do that. I would never think about that. I would never let alone say that out loud. So why? When we think about like Jesus had to die. Why? Why did he have to die? And what did that accomplish, as we, we talk about so often? If, as a parent, we can forgive without resorting to that sort of violence, couldn't God do the same? It's an interesting question. Why did Jesus have to die in order for that to happen? We're going to explore that question a little bit today. And we're going to do it through a story that's in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, if you're new, we've been studying in the Bible. The very first like book of the Bible is called Genesis. And we've been going kind of story through story, chapter by chapter. And we're in Genesis chapter 15 primarily today. And I want to share with you uh, the Old Testament backstory to like, why does Jesus have to die? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a little bit of the foundation that we see uh, early in these chapters in Genesis chapter 15. So let me pray and then we'll jump into what we're going to talk about today. Lord, thank you again for the sunshine. I remember thinking 
with my friend Quincy as we saw the sun, man, we have we got to have somebody to blame for this beauty. It's easy on the days that are rainy and cold to be upset about it. On the hard days to find someone in the universe to blame. It's easy for us to do that. But you know what? If we're going to do that, we also have to give thanks. We also have to attribute thanksgiving to the one who provided the goodness that we see in this world. So thank you for everything that you give us today. Thanks for the heartbeat that we have, for the uh, breath in our lungs. And we pray that today as we breathe in and out and listen to these words that they would do within each one of us what you desire them to do. So keep me on track because you know I'm a little ADD, but you love me anyways. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 15. Oh, I'm so going to hurt myself there. Um, you want to see it, don't you? Stop it. Uh, in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, if you've been around, you remember we met a guy named Abram. And he's going to get a name change in a couple of chapters. So cheat code there. Uh, but for now, uh, his name is Abram. When God meets him, uh, God tells him to leave his hometown and set out for a new land. To leave his father's house. Remember we talked about the Beit Av. And God promises that he will bless him. Uh, up till this point in Genesis, uh, God started out humanity in this garden, this beautiful picture of shalom, peace, the way things were supposed to be. And then continually, humanity just kind of spirals downward until God finally says, I'm going to just start over with one person, with this one person, and, and build my plan, his plan for redemption for the whole world. So God tells Abraham to leave his hometown. He promises to bless him, that he'll make his name great. And that he will turn his offspring, so his children and his children's children, great-grandchildren, all that stuff, into a great nation. Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we, we shared this uh, picture of how, like, uh, they divided the land up between Abraham and his nephew Lot. And God brought Abraham into the promised land to give him a vision for what his future would be. And that's in, in Genesis 13. I just want bring to bring you up to speed there. It says this in Genesis 13, verse 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Some translations say sand. I love to think that when I got my feet in the sand, which hopefully we'll be able to get our like summer back <laughs> like we had this week. But then he says, go through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So God walks this man named Abraham through this Abram through this land to say, this is going to be yours and your children will fill it and it will be good. This is the call of God to be a blessing to all nations through starting with this man and his family. So this guy really wants to be a dad. All, all of this promise kind of hinges on that, right? Him having children. God brought him out into the night and gave him that beautiful vision of how many children and offspring that he would have. And Abram gets excited about that idea. And I can't blame him, honestly, because being a dad's kind of awesome. It's hard, uh, but for real, it's pretty sweet. So do you know what my, me and my son did uh, Friday night? We've been like dreaming about this for weeks. We slept inside of a tent. Let me show you that. Ah, there's Lincoln. We slept inside of a tent. Uh, no big deal, right? Sleeping inside of a tent. But if that's not enough, not only did we sleep inside of a tent, but we slept inside of a tent that was inside of a tent. So check it out. Look at that. 
Yeah, and, and you think that's all. You think I'm finished. But in fact, we slept inside of another tent that was inside of a tent that was inside of that tent. So that is right here, the trifecta of tent sleeping. That's like, oh man, as, as good as it gets. It really is. So Abram wants to be a dad. And I can't blame him. Because getting to be a parent, as painful and hard and difficult as that is, is that is, is one of the greatest joys in the world. And he wants to experience the blessing of raising children and the sign that comes with, with that in a land of his own. He wants the promise that God has promised him. He wants to receive it. He's brought back into God's vision for him and he's taking action to prove it. So Abraham is, is showing God, yes, I, I take your call to go into this nation. I, I receive it that I will be the father of many people and eventually... You know, Jesus comes from this line too, but here's the problem. All the promises that God made to Abram, as good as they sound at the point in the story that we're at today, they haven't come to be. They haven't panned out exactly the way that Abram thought they would. Not, not at least at first. He has no children and he has no land. He's doing his part. He's being obedient, but soon we see, as we'll read here in a minute, that God reveals to Abraham, or Abram is frustrated about the fact that God casted this beautiful vision for him, that he would have as many descendants as there are sand in the world, and he's just not seeing it happen yet. Genesis 15, Abram says this, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. So he's saying, like, you told me I was, we were going to have kids, but, but it's not happening. And so someone not even uh, in my bloodline is, is going to get this inheritance. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So let me paraphrase this. It's uh, Abram saying, listen, God, thank you for everything. But all this inheritance stuff, the promise that you made, is just going to go through my servant. And that's not what you told me would happen. That doesn't seem like that's the promise that you gave me. It's not really going to come into fruition the way that you promised. Abram had been living according to this promise, trusting God, moving to this new place, but still, nothing. God had not yet shown up for him. It's funny, these stories are old, but they're so relatable. Have you ever been there? Have you decided to to turn your life around? You've, You've decided to turn your face towards God like we talk about often here. You're finding your way back to God, but the the benefits, the peace, the change, the harmony of life, all that stuff that that we believe God promises to us when we turn towards him are taking some time. You're waiting for all of this peace that God talks about to arrive. We get that feeling, don't we? We know what that's like. Things were not working out for Abram in the way that he thought or that he had planned and it seemed like not as God had promised either. 
But God, as so often is true, in his word, in the story that he writes and shares with us through the Bible, God hears Abram. He didn't strike Abram with a thunderbolt when he asked why this thing hasn't happened yet. What does God do in response to Abram's question? Why do I not have children yet? God says this. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Abram. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Then, I love pictures like this. Then he took him outside. God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Two different scenarios where God took Abram on a little walk and said, count the sand on the seashore. That's how blessed you're going to be. Look at the stars. That's how many children you're going to have. God hears Abram's frustration about when the promise will come to be. But God didn't strike him with a thunderbolt. Like I said, God took him outside again to show him God's grand plan for him. Only this time, God brought him out to look at the stars. I wonder for you if a good question this week might be, what kind of experience would God take me on to remind me of his promises for me? I don't know, maybe some of you have been a Christian for a while or maybe new. And you need to remember, where is it that you received this promise for the first time? And maybe God wants to take you there again. Maybe God wants to Point your eyes to the stars or the sand on the, sh- the seashore to remind you that even though maybe your life isn't right now where you want it to be, that he's got a plan for you. In fact, he's got a plan for all of us. And sometimes we certainly, certainly limit that plan to the years we have on earth, and that's, that's natural. But he's a God that we can wrestle with. He's a God who we observe people questioning him even like Abram did, and God still shows up to provide him with hope. Next verse. Abram believed in the Lord, and he he credited to him as righteousness. So, interesting, righteousness, what does that mean? It's like being in right relationship with God. And it was just by faith that God credited that relationship back to God. We see it early on in the story here. So much of the New Testament fleshes out what that actually looks like. But here, early on, it's by faith that this relationship with God is restored. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? So he's asking another question. Why hasn't this thing come to happen yet? God 
gives him a vision again. And he's like, well, I need some proof. I need, I need something that I can like hold on to in order to know that you mean it. In order to know that it's going to happen. Abram believes in God's promise, but he's asking God to show him something that will serve as a reminder to boost his confidence. That God means what he says. Like, how can I know, God? Because it's pretty hard to tell sometimes. Watch what God says next. It will make make complete sense. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought him all these things, cut them in two, and arranged them arranged the halves opposite to each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Cool. Pretty clear? Can I get an amen? Um, A little confusing to to our minds, to our ears, right? We don't do this sort of thing. So God's response for him is to bring out these animals. So Abram's like, I want a a little, like, reassurance that you mean what you're going to say. I need some sort of, like, confidence builder. God's like, okay, go get these animals. And then Abram cuts them in half, (laughs) which I'm not going to demonstrate for you today. Um, Oh, this is almost where I made a bat joke. Some of you know my situation. I will refrain myself. I don't like bats. Um, But it's like the start to a bad joke, right? Like a man walks into a bar with a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and some pigeons. But this is... God telling him to bring these animals to him because something's about to happen. Immediately, Abram starts cutting animals in half, which, again, to us is just a little weird in our context. But let me give you some context. In Abram's time, it would not have been so off-putting. The arrangement of divided animal carcasses would have been instantly recognized as setting up like a contract. And we all know what contracts are. A simple contract is an agreement between two parties or two people that outlines what, what, what both parties are responsible for. Um, sometimes they're everyday contracts like buying a car or uh, an apartment to rent. Um, we, we all sign some contracts. Did you actually know um, contracts are a normal part and you don't even realize what you're you're agreeing to most of the time. Um, Apple Music, if anybody has Apple Music, I do. Uh, When you agree to the terms and conditions of uh, Apple Music, I bet you didn't know that you also agree you will not use these products for any purposes prohibited by the United States law, including, without limitation, development, design, manufacture, or production of nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. So, the next time you download that Taylor Swift album... No nukes, okay? As as tempted as you might be. These contracts, we all are familiar with what contracts are. Even that silly example right there. So Abram is a little brokenhearted. He's a little discouraged. He's feeling stuck. He believes in God, but he's looking for some reassurance. He's looking for some sort of, like, contract. And... He responds with this, and it's not such a heartwarming picture to us, but when you dig into the context a little bit, you start to see the significance of it. You can throw that picture up there, uh, Tyler. Notice that God did not ask him to cut the animal up. It's so fascinating. When, When you read the scriptures slowly, 
you, you start to see, like, God told him to get the animals, but he didn't tell him to cut them up. Abram just instinctively started to do it. And this arrangement, opposite each other, like I said, is automatic. And as soon as God asks for these animals, Abram, he, like, he knew what was going on. That's because the kind of contract that was normal in his culture is called the blood covenant. And it would look something a little bit like that. You can hardly tell what that is, can you? Um, when forming an ancient contract, which was called a covenant in those days, two parties gathered their animals, cut each into two pieces, and then placed them on the ground so that their blood flowed into one stream. Kind of like what's happening there, right? You see this little stream that's right there, the blood path. Then each person, and this was normal, each person walked through the blood, symbolizing that they would pay with their life if they broke the terms of that covenant, of that contract. Essentially, uh, you declare that as your feet hit the blood path, that if you don't keep, if I don't keep my end of this covenant, this will happen to me. May my body be broken and my blood be spilled built just as these animals have broken their blood, their body, and their blood has been spilt. God promises that he will take Abram and give him this land and give him the children and give him the blessing that comes with it and make them into a nation that God's redemptive story would develop all the way up to Jesus and all the way up to us today. So what was Abram's end of that contract. Genesis 17, 1 and 2 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you, between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. So God's end of this promise, of this covenant, of this contract, is land and children, the blessing of those. Abram's end, walk blamelessly, walk without sin. I don't know if you've ever sinned before, but I have. (laughs) If I'm Abram, I would not be able to force myself to touch my big toe to that blood path. To that arrangement with God. If God is saying, okay, we're both going to be perfect and sinless. And if we're not, then the fate of one of us is going to be like those animals. I couldn't do it because I know how it would go. I mean, I'm a decent guy. But I don't trust myself that much. Not even close, actually, to make that kind of deal with God. Have you ever done that? Like, God, if you give me this, I'll never lust again. (laughs) If you give me this, I'll never swear again. The story continues. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
Abram cut this stuff up and took so long, and he didn't even walk through, but stood at the threshold of this blood path for so long that birds of prey, the vultures, came down to start eating the meat that was there. I don't know how much time that takes. Days, hours. But at that time, Abram was sitting there considering the contracts. Do I have what it takes? Can I hold up my end of the deal? Staring at the decaying carcasses. (laughs) And he couldn't bring himself to do it. He believed God's promise for his life, but he was too scared to make that life and death decisions. You know, Abram was filled, it says, with uh, a thick and dreadful darkness. The Hebrew expression, that Hebrew expression was used to describe someone who is scared to death. Because he knows he couldn't fulfill his, his end of the contract. He knows he'll never be able to to do it. He won't be able to live obediently, perfectly, sinlessly for God for the rest of his days. Which is actually pretty wise of him. When you think of the ground we've covered in Genesis so far where humanity just repeats the cycle where sin takes hold of us in a thousand different ways. We let ourselves down. We hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. I wouldn't dip my foot into that blood path either. But God knows that. The story continues. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. As if the story wasn't strange enough, Smoke and fire show up and walk through this thing, this blood path. The Bible often uses imagery like this. Um, Wonderful, colorful imagery. And the most commonly used uh, way that the Bible uses to represent the presence of God is through smoke and fire. God comes down from Mount Sinai to give his people the law, and he does so in smoke and fire. He leads his people out to the desert through a pillar of smoke and fire. The Holy Spirit comes down on Pentecost in the form of tongues of fire and so on. This imagery in the Bible of God represented by this uh, smoke and fire. So when you see in this story that Abram never steps foot in the blood... God's presence does it for him. That means God holds both ends of the contract up, both his 
and ours. Knowing that Abram couldn't keep his side of the covenant, God puts him to sleep. And God's actions effectively say, I will pay for your side with my own blood. I will cover your shortfall. Why did Jesus have to die? It's good God, because God made a deal. He made a deal that He would pay our end of the contract. Perfection unachievable by humans. He would give us the way back in relationship with Him by providing Himself as the one who would pay that price. Could it be in that moment, in the story we've been talking about, that Jesus was sentenced to the cross? Could it be that because God walked through the the blood path on our behalf, that God in human flesh would take our consequences, death, upon himself? Now you're thinking, but why death? Couldn't God just break his covenant? No. No. He's not like that. That's the point, actually. God's promises will never, he will never break his covenant. Ever. Even when faced with the terrible reality, God will never break his promise. And you see, it's not just that this story is a foreshadowing of Jesus, which I think it is, though, which is super cool. So many things point to the person in Uh, work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. But it's not just a story of that. It's about a God who has always been faithful. About a God who has always held our end of the deal too. He's taken our sin, our inadequacies on himself. God has always covered our shortfall. It's who God is. Jesus died on the cross Because God will never break his covenant with you if you believe that Jesus did what he said he did. God fulfilled his promise, his end of the contract, and that's why Jesus died on the cross. But out of that fulfillment, he started something new. We celebrated it last week. Jesus did not stay in the tomb. The story doesn't end just in blood down this path. Jesus began a new covenant with us, the promise of a restored relationship with God and eternal life beyond the grave. When Jesus held that last supper that we talk about once a month here that we take together through communion, he says to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. He's pointing back to the story God has been writing since the beginning that God would provide what is needed to bring you back to his arms. Can you believe that? That he actually wants you? I don't mean that condescendingly, but I just know how there are days when I just don't see how he would want me. But he does. And he's been writing this story for thousands of years to get in the plan of it since before time began to bring you back home. Each time we celebrate the Lord's table, we Celebrate the completion of this blood covenant and the beginning of a new relationship back to God. 
So what makes it so incredible is that it just doesn't culminate in a bloody death of Jesus. As we celebrated last week, dead things are supposed to stay dead, but not with God. He rose Jesus from the dead after he had paid the price for our side of the contract. You know, maybe all this time, I don't know all of your stories, but maybe all of this time, you've been living under a different contract, which is easy to do. It's natural to think that God won't love me, God won't receive me, God won't forgive me until I'm good enough to, to get it. Maybe you've lived under the wrong understanding of a relationship with God for your whole life. Maybe you took it all in yourself and believed that your rightness with God was determined by what you did or didn't do. Maybe you put your foot in the blood path only to discover that you don't have what it takes, that we're fallible people. As wonderful and beautiful as we are, we are fallible people. And maybe the weight of your salvation you put on your own shoulders. You know, I don't often say it, but I should say it more. The grace of God. It's the grace of God by faith in Jesus that makes all things well between you and between God. When I grew up as a kid, I didn't realize that. I thought I had to be good enough. I sat the direction you're sitting right now, listening to preachers every week as a kid, thinking, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Only as an adult to discover I never could. And I don't need to. I get to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And that accomplishes my end of the contract. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Oh man, so maybe some of you can take a big load off your shoulders today. I'm not telling you to stop trying to live right, but you don't have to try and earn God's love because that's a gift you can receive. That's something you can open your arms wide to say yes to. Oh man, I hope today is the day that some of you feel that for the first time. Maybe today is the day that God's pointing your eyes to the stars to remind you that he has a good plan for you. And guess who's doing the bulk of the work? Him. So today, I want to invite you to trust Jesus, whether this will be the first moment you do that or if it's the first moment you truly do that, that you trust his work, you trust his part of the contract he's done on your behalf. And that honestly is the best motivation for good behavior anyways. It's gratitude. 
God can change the desires of your heart. And he does it by offering you his love by grace through faith. So reach out today. Grab hold of it. Believe that Jesus is enough. More than enough. Trust that his payment is enough for your sin. For whatever downfalls you have. And trust that God's promises are true. I want to invite you to come back next week. As we continue this story, one of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible. Um, I say that all the time, don't I? But really, come back. Because we've, we've been talking about a God who hears us. And next week, I want to talk about a God who sees us. Uh, Lord, I pray that your word this morning has uh, gone out into our ears and to our minds and our hearts and all parts of us that's uh, hopefully doing work um, in between the lines of what I said and maybe what was spoken. I pray that all people here and maybe those hanging out online will have seeds planted in good soil that would begin to grow into something that they can see. I know it's hard, Lord. It is hard for us to wait to see things grow within us. But I pray that you grow it. I pray that my friends in here who are feeling discouraged or doubtful about whether your promises are true, that they will look to Jesus and say, I do believe today that Jesus is enough and that he's walked through the, the blood path for me. And not only that, but he offers eternal life, the full life, the good life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.